Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you this, this day in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. And I want to thank you, Lord God, for another day that you have given to us. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for all and everything that you have done for us and your grace and your mercy and your patience and your long-suffering and, Lord Jesus Christ, the anguish that you have placed within our hearts as we know that we are living in the last days, Lord Jesus Christ. And we also know that everything that is in us that is not of you has got to be purged out of these temples so that way lord jesus we can get to the fullness of the stature of a man in our relationship with you so that way lord god you can fill us with your holy spirit and to recognize the greatest things that we could ever do in our life for you is to be saved is to recognize our need for a savior that our relationship with you lord god may grow that everything else does not stack up to the needs of others being saved and letting them know that the only way that they can be set free from the bondage of this life and to peel back the veil and see the pure evil that is truly surrounding us is that we go out and be fruitful and multiply spiritually, making disciples for Jesus Christ. Because, Lord God, we are living in a time, we are living in a society where salvation is not the most important thing in our lives anymore. Doing your will is not the most important things in our lives anymore, Lord Jesus Christ. And we have got to get back. We need a fresh anointing upon our lives, Lord Jesus Christ, that we put into real perspective what truly matters. Do we want to be sanctified? Do we want to be set free from everything that holds us here? Do we want your scriptures to come to pass that although it would mean persecution and the destruction of this nation, do we want to see people get saved? Do we want you coming back? Do we really want to be with you in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ? Are we just saying that so we appear holy? Yes, Lord. Lord God, we have got to work these things out in our life to see where we truly stand with you, Lord Jesus, and to question yes, if we are even truly saved. Thank you, Lord. So be with this message tonight, Lord Jesus Christ. Let not the words come forward be my words but your words, Lord, that it will reach the people out there that truly want to be set free. Yes, Thank Lord. you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank, Thank you for you this Jesus. time from my, with my brother in Jesus Christ and everyone who couldn't make it and everyone who's out there struggling, Lord God, help them. Be with them, Lord God, and set them free from the religious dogma mindset that has people bound to a building instead of being in a relationship with you. Thank yes, you, God. Lord. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for everything that Thank you've you, done. Lord. Continue to strengthen and build up our armor as we press forward into the spiritual warfare. Beset us through that furnace of affliction to purge and to burn up the world and the lust thereof that when we come to the other side, we reflect only you. Yes, in Lord. Jesus Christ, your most holy name I pray. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So tonight's study is going to be called The Road to Hell is Paved with Good Intentions. The Road to Hell is Paved with Good Intentions. And... I want to say something. I'm going to play a clip here in a few minutes, but I want to say the reason why I believe that the Lord has placed this on my heart is because a lot of people think that the political system or even so-called Christian leaders have our best interest at heart. And there's this 
all-inclusive kind of gospel that is plaguing our so-called Christian churches today or even Bible studies because they say, well, you know, if we have a gospel that allows certain things, then we won't offend people and that they will want to come to know Jesus Christ. And that it could not be further from the truth. Amen. It will actually deflect people. But you got a lot of people today, I was listening and, and watching this one document, documentary by the same guy I'm going to play tonight, and he was saying that this one man, they were talking about the gap theory and how they're trying to put the gap theory in the book of Genesis. And he was saying that this one man wanted to secretly go through and change the gospel and take away all the mistakes. And he said, you know, I wouldn't want to be this man standing before Jesus Christ on the day of judgment and say, oh Lord, I finally did it. I took out all the mistakes and that your gospel is complete. He's like, I would not want to be that man. But you see, that is what, and he's supposed to be a Christian leader. So that is what the, 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 the so-called Christian leaders are trying to do with the gospel. They say that you can have millions of years as long as that you say God did it. They have to have time on their side. And evolution, obviously, is not the topic of today. But what I'm saying is, is that if we truly believe the scriptures we got to believe it in its entirety. But there are people today thinking that with good intent, they can change the scriptures. No, we cannot. Because that's why when we're talking to people out in the streets today, a lot of them say, well, I don't need a Bible. Or I don't need God's word to tell me how to live. I'm like, if you don't need his word, then you obviously don't need him. Because the two go exactly hand in hand. But the clip that we're going to watch today or listen to today is about... 20 minutes. Um, I will say that there's a couple of things I do not agree with him on. Outside of that, everything coincides with what we have taught. But the one thing I do not agree upon, he says that he believed that we were founded upon a Christian nation. That is not true. No. Not that there weren't Christians that, that were here, but George Washington himself was a 33-degree Freemason. A lot of the people that signed the Constitution were 33-degree Freemasons. The Constitution itself was not in our best interest. And then, uh, if you guys want to get more details on that, go back to last year's Patriotism is Satanic, and it was actually broken down. And listen to those words. But the video we're going to listen to, it brings more light on the things that we have been talking about. It was recorded in 2013, so obviously Barack Obama was the president at that time. But if we're listening to what he says five years ago, five years ago is today. What he said five years ago, we are, li we are living today. Now, I'm pretty sure as evil as Barack Obama was and is, he was doing it for good intentions that he would get gain from the people that are over him. Or he was serving his God. You know, and so... People want to say today, well, look at all the stuff that he did and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, he did not have your best interest at heart. But look at what happened during that time period. And people got on the bandwagon looking at him saying, oh, well, he's just doing what our best interest is. And he just want everyone to live together in harmony and peace. Well, we're going to listen to this. And I want you guys to truly listen to the words that come forward uh, in this clip. And then we're going to get right into it.
was still Senator Obama back in 2006. Now, President Obama spoke at a conference called Building a Covenant for a New America. I don't believe many people understood what he meant by a new America. But I believe if you look at America in 2013, you start to see what he did mean by a new America when he said this. Where we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. Whatever we once were, we are no longer. It was in his book, The Audacity of Hope, published in 2006. We're no longer just a Christian nation. In fact, it's interesting, the American Humanist Association put an ad in the Washington Post on January 20, and this was on the first inauguration of President Obama, and they quoted from the book, The Audacity of Hope, by Barack Obama, and they quoted this section, I was not raised in a religious household without the help of religious texts and outside authorities. And then it goes on, given the increasing diversity of America's population and so on, that whatever we once were, we are no longer just a Christian nation. And there's that quote. And the first inauguration address on January 20, uh, President Obama said this. We are a nation of Christians and Muslims, Jews and Hindus, and non-believers. We are shaped by every language and culture. It was certainly a reference to the same basic statement. And then in 2009, President Obama speaking in Turkey to the President of Turkey, April 6, 2009, said this. That's something that's very important to me. You know, I've said before uh, that one of the great strengths of the United States is, uh, although as I mentioned, uh, you know, we have a very large Christian population, we do not consider ourselves a Christian nation or a Jewish nation or a Muslim nation. Uh, we consider ourselves uh, a nation of citizens who are uh, bound by ideals and a set of values. And by the way, as you hear that, bound by ideals and a set of values, whose values? Who determines those values? Who determines what's right and what's wrong? Because if they're just man's, in the book of Judges, when they had no king, no absolute authority to tell them what to do, they all did what was right in their own eyes. And people, that's really what's happened to this nation. We really have changed. Whatever we once were, a nation that in many ways was founded on the word of God and therefore the morality, the worldview of this nation, and not all, of course, had that worldview of morality, but nonetheless, it was predominant in this nation because most of the founding fathers started with the word of God and absolute authority who determined right and wrong. But if we no longer build our thinking on God's word, there is only one other foundation. Go back to Genesis 3. If you don't trust God, then you become your own God. And really the battle right from the beginning, right from Genesis 3, has been a battle between God's word and man's word. Between building our thinking on the authority of the word of God and saying that we determine truth. And really right back there in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve decided to determine truth for themselves instead of building their thinking on the word of God and listening to the word of God. And people, that's the change that's really occurred. It's a foundational change. It's a change of religion. See, people think there are hundreds of religions. There really aren't. There's, in essence, only two religions. You either start with God's word or you start with man's word. Back in 2008, 
Let me share a video clip with you and then a series of quotes and video clips to help us understand what progressively has been occurring in this nation. In 2008, while Barack Obama and John McCain were campaigning for the presidency, Obama was interviewed by Rick Warren. And listen to what he said. And by the way, listen to what he doesn't say. I believe that marriage uh, is the union between a man and a woman. Now, for me as a Christian, for me, for me as a Christian, it's also a sacred union. Uh, you know, God's in in the mix. Uh-huh. I'm not sure what he means by God's in the mix. What does that mean? But I think it was said in a way to make people who are listening think that what he was saying was that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's it. That was in 2008, before the election, in August 17. But then again, June 1st, 2009, what do we read on the White House website? President Obama says, I am proud to be the first president to appoint openly LGBT candidates to the Senate-confirmed positions. And then we read from the White House website, President Obama's uh, fiscal budget for that year, the federal budget defunded all abstinence-based education. And then, on October 11, 2009, at a human rights campaign dinner, we read where President Obama said, I've called on Congress to repeal the so-called Defense of Marriage Act. And then at the same human rights campaign dinner, he said this, when you look back, my expectation is, when you look back on these years, you will see a time in which we as a nation finally recognize relationships between two men and two women as just as real and admirable as relationships between a man and a woman. And then, January 27, 2010, in his State of the Union address, he said, this year I will work with Congress and our military to finally repeal the law that denies gay Americans the right to serve the country. And then, in 2012, ABC News uh, showed an interview by Robin Roberts, where President Obama talks about gay marriage. I have to tell you, as I said, I've been going through an evolution on this issue. It is important for me to go ahead and affirm that uh, I think same-sex couples should be able to get married. And by the way, I suggest when you look at the evidence that he's always had that belief. That what he said back in 2008 wasn't that he didn't believe that. It's interesting, many of you might remember in January 10th, 2013, Pastor Louis Giglio withdrew from Obama's inaugural ceremony over remarks he made against homosexual behavior that went back to the mid-1990s and because there were some negative remarks about homosexual behavior he had to withdraw from giving the inaugural prayer and in a news item about what happened we read this Obama's inaugural planners have put an emphasis on reflecting diversity in the festivities including the participation of conservative Christians and gay Americans Obama personally selected Richard Blanco whose work explores his experience as a Cuban-American gay man as the inaugural poet. And the Lesbian and Gay Band Association of St. Louis was one of the first selections to march in the inaugural parade. People, it's a deliberate agenda. It's been an agenda ever since he became president. And then Newsweek cover January 18, 2013 seems to equate Obama with the second coming of Christ. And then in the second inauguration address, January 21, 2013, we heard this. 
Our journey is not complete until our gay brothers and sisters are treated like anyone else under the law. For if we are truly created equal, then surely the love we commit to one another must be equal as well. In his 2013 State of the Union address, we heard this. We will ensure equal treatment for all service members and equal benefits for their families, gay and straight. And then February 21st, 2013, Fox News reported that Obama was considering intervening in the gay marriage case. This was over California's Proposition 8, which banned same-sex marriage. Well, Obama filed that brief to oppose Proposition 8 later in the month. You realize that the President of the United States is also the honorary head of the Boy Scouts. And we know that the gay issue has been really pushed in the Boy Scouts. And first of all, allowing gays uh, into the scouting movement. But the next step, as they've already said, is for leaders uh, to be allowed in as gays. In a pre-game interview, a pre-Super Bowl game interview, February 3rd, 2013, President Obama was interviewed about the Boy Scouts issue. Next week, the board of the Boy Scouts of America is going to vote on whether to end their national ban on gays and scouting. Should scouting be open to gays? Yes. This was on CBS. But I want you to listen to how he then followed up. Listen carefully. Why so? Well, because I think that, uh, you know, my attitude is, is that gays and lesbians should have uh, access and, and uh, opportunity. Uh, the same way everybody else does, uh, in every institution and walk of life. Did you hear that? In every institution and walk of life. People in England, the Prime Minister, wanted to have laws passed that churches had to marry gay couples. That's coming in America, I believe. Because, you see, one of the things that has been very clear from the White House is that they have tried to make out that the gay marriage issue is a civil rights issue. It is not a civil rights issue. It is a behavioral issue. It is a moral issue. You can't change the shade of your skin, but you can change your behavior and your morals. There was a very sad event that occurred in 2012 when a number of dear children were killed by a gunman in Connecticut. And President Obama was at the prayer vigil held on December 16th. And it's interesting. What he did was he quoted from 2 Corinthians 4. In fact, he read 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 right through to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. I'll just play you a little bit of that. Scripture tells us, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Now, we know that all of the Bible is God's word. All scripture is inspired by God. But we also know that God moved people by his spirit to write down what he wanted written for us that we have today in the revealed word of God. Paul wrote that section. It's interesting that President Obama will quote from Paul in Corinthians... But would he quote from Paul in Ephesians? Ephesians 5.1 For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and two will become one flesh. In fact, 
that's the very same passage that Jesus referred to in Matthew 19 when he was asked about marriage. And his answer, have you not read the authority of the word of God? That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, not male and male, not female and female, male and female. He quotes from Genesis 1 verse 27 and said, for this reason shall man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. He quotes from Genesis 2 24 where God had made Adam from dust and put him to sleep because there were, he was alone. There was no one that was like him. And out of his side, he made the first woman. You become one. You're one in marriage based on the one flesh because the woman came from the man. The first marriage, the marriage that God invented, was a man and a woman. People, what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who's the truth and the word, is saying is marriage is a man and a woman, not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman. It's a man and a woman. God is the one who invented marriage. But I know President Obama will only quote from the passages that he wants, not ones that contradict his false view of marriage, his incorrect view of marriage. By the way, not just marriage. Ultimately, every single biblical doctrine is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. Why did Jesus die on a cross? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is there sin in the world? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do you wear clothes? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is Jesus called the last Adam? Genesis 1 to 11. They're all founded in Genesis. The whole gospel message is founded in Genesis. We better go and tell the President of the United States and the Vice President and all the Senators and the Congressmen, right? See, I might shock you all in saying this. I believe the state of this nation actually reflects the state of the church. And we'll talk more about that as we go on here. And you know what we've seen happening? The, a, a gay marriage agenda pushed from the top down in this nation. And now we're seeing all sorts of aspects of the culture getting on this bandwagon. For instance, Microsoft had this ad uh, on television. It's interesting that in April, Time magazine had on its front cover the headline, Gay Marriage Already Won. And people, I'm sorry to say, sad to say, in a way, I think it is already won in this nation because of what's happened in this nation. But God is, God is on our side. And if God's people would only stand up and stop compromising his word and stand up and be counted in this nation. We could have a great effect in this nation. You know, even the United Nations posted quite a significant video on YouTube recently to promote gay marriage. This is just a section of the United Nations video. You are not alone. LGBT rights are human rights. LGBT rights are human rights. Together, we will build a world. We will build a world that is free and equal. You know, it's interesting in that video, they also talk about persecution and all the rest of it, but of course they wouldn't talk about Christian persecution throughout the world, would they? And then of course we know what happened June 26, 2013, where the Supreme Court in America struck down a provision of the Defense of Marriage Act that denied benefits to gay couples. And of course, this opened the way for further action to legalize gay marriage across the country. You're gonna see that in the future. And also, all right, so that's the, the part of the clip that I wanted to play. 
Um, it is actually called the delusion or the American delusion. Um, but one thing that everyone has to understand here is it's not just been about Barack Obama been in office. It's not just been about um, it's not it's not just been about uh, you know Bush being in office or uh, or anything else like that. All these individuals have been in line with each other since you know the beginning, and there's only been maybe a couple of presidents out of our you know entire presidency over the last what 300 and something years that have actually stood up and said, no, we're not going to do this. We won't follow the Illuminati. We won't do this. But the rest of the time, they've all been in line with their father, which is Satan. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm going to read something a little bit later. But first of all, let's go ahead and get into the scriptures. And then we're going to start off with Judges 17 and verse 1. But you know, what we really have to understand here is, is that we have got to get out of this mindset. Everyone has got to get out of this lackadaisical, uh, comforted, so-called Christian mindset and to understand, you know, are we living according to what the gospel actually says? And when I say this, I'm speaking to myself too because I know that there's still things that the Lord's got to work on my life. But are we actually wanting to live according to what the gospel truly says and have a change in our life? Or are we still basing our faith off of this so-called Christian nation that we have today, which it is not. And we saw in that clip, but it hasn't been, it's never been. So we got to stop thinking that uh, the man in office, like we've said before, trying to get the right man in office and all, oh, he'll be a Christian and all, oh, he'll do this and he'll do that. Jesus Christ never in his word said the right man in office. He said that we are to have a relationship with him so that we can be set free and so that we can do his works. All right, so Genesis, uh, excuse me, Judges 17. Let's go there. As soon as I get there. All right. Judges 17 and verse 1. And there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee about which thou cursed, and spakest of also in my ear, Behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. So first of all, let me say that this is not Micah the prophet. This is a different Micah who was earlier on in the scriptures. But what happened here was that Micah actually took this money from his mother, and she, although she knew it, uh, she didn't really... I mean, she did confront him and say, I know you have it, but she didn't really try and get it back. And we're going we're gonna to read more about uh, what happened with this money. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand to my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, therefore I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to the founder who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. So even though this woman here is saying, you know, acting like she prayed to the Lord over her son about the money or whatever, when he gave it back to her, what did she do with this money? 
she actually gave it to the people that were building these molten and these graven images. So what she didn't do was this, and we see this in a lot of parents today. They want their children to come to know Jesus Christ, but they enable them along the way to do so because they really don't instill the love and knowing Jesus Christ in the hearts of their children. So when their children go and do something wrong, they're not going to say, well, you know, according to Scripture, this is why you should not do this. And this is what's going to happen. And this is the penalties of sin if you don't come to know Jesus Christ. What do they say? Well, just, you know, make sure you don't do it again. And the reason why it's wrong is, is because, you know, taking something from somebody is not right. We cannot base our morals and standards off of man. Because if we do that, you're not giving the gospel to your children, to your family members. And if we base our own standards or our own morals off of what man's word says or what man, uh, anything that goes along with man and not Jesus Christ, guess what? That is antichrist. You may be thinking you're doing the right thing and you say, well, what if they're not ready to receive the gospel? And what if it's too hard for them? Okay, you go that route, and guess what? Your kids might turn into little hellions when they grow up, and they will probably defy you. No probably about it. They will defy you. They will defy the word of God. Why? Because you did not try and instill it in their lives early on in life. And then when that happens, you're going to fo face a whole boatload of demons along the way simply because you did not trust in God when it first happened. So let's continue reading here in verse 5. And the man Micah had a house of gods, and made an ephah and a, a teraphim, and consecrated one of his sons to become his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did, what, did that which was right in his own eyes. So what we're reading here is, is that it's not simply because there was no king. There was no spiritual head over the people at that time. And we, as you know, born to sin, do the exact same thing. When we have no spiritual, no strong leaders in our life to govern, hey, this is what God's word truly says, and this is how you need to live it, we see today, what will man do? They will look at this scripture and try and discern it in their own life, in their own eyes, according to their own lust, according to their own flesh, and what they think the word of God should say Amen. instead of standing on the truth of what it actually does say. Amen. And they may even think, well, you know, and like I said before, they may say, well, if it's an all-inclusive gospel, then, you know, everyone will come to know Jesus Christ in their own way. Folks, there is only one way to Jesus Christ, and that is through Jesus Christ. It can't be our, by our own will. It cannot be by our own standards. It cannot be because we think that we are a good person. Because we're seeing that today. We've heard so many people say, well, if I'm a good person, that should be just good enough. No, it is not. Because we are not inherently good. We are inherently evil. We are born with that sin nature in our lives. All right, verse 7. And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city of Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and he journeyed. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I might find a place. 
So this young man was a Levite. He was obviously the Levites were the priests of the days of Israel. So he was actually a priest of that time. And Micah invited him. We'll see here. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be thou unto me a father and a priest. Let's look at those that phrase very carefully. A father and a priest. What religion today has fathers and priests in it? The Catholic religion. Even so, some so-called Christian religions today have that. Freemasonry, exactly. And I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in, and the Levite was, was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. And then said Micah, Now I now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite as to my priest, or as my priest. So even though some people will say, Well, you can have little trinkets and you can have little idols in your house, and you know, if you go to another country and you buy a Buddha head and stuff like that, it's not gonna do anything to you. As long as you say that you love the Lord and you go to church, you will be fine. I'm here to tell you, no, you will not. You will not be fine because a lot of people, you need to understand today, those trinkets and those little Buddha heads and little Buddha statues and everything like that are demonically charged. If you're having failures in your marriage, if you're, if you're uh, whatever's going on in your place, um, some women who cannot bear children do not understand. If you got these statutes in your house, that is probably the reason why all hell is breaking loose in your life or you're, you're swayed from actually following Jesus Christ because you have these entities in your house. Mm -hmm. So did Micah. It said here he, you know, he actually had like a shrine to these other gods, and then he had this, not only his son, but this young Levite priest to uh, actually be over his other gods. And if you read in your spare time, can you continue reading in Judges 18, where uh, some of the men of Israel actually went in and took his gods and everything like that, and his priests actually tried to overtake these Israelites that went in, and he said, well, you guys have taken my gods. He actually was purposely trying to deceive the people that were there, you know, thinking that the Lord would give him favor. Why? Simply because he had a priest of the Levites in his house. Today, that sounds a lot like people who come out of, come out of seminary and theology school. You know, they are consecrated. They say, well, they have a degree in such and such, or they have a degree in theology, or they must know the Word of God. So we're going to hire them to be our priest. We're going to hire them to be our pastor because they know this. People, I'm here to tell you today, and it's been spoken of before, simply because that is the case does not make them any more Christian than the drug addict on the street. They have got to know this Word of God, not simply because they studied it, but because it is in their hearts, because they have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if not, we're leading people astray. You know, so, okay. There's no questions. Let's move on to Proverbs 16 and verse 1. That's what a lot of people try to do today, Christianize stuff. Think by having a Christian in the midst that they're doing something. Mm -hmm. Anytime you rebel against God, you're not a Christian. Exactly. You're not walking in the ways of Christ. Exactly. And the the one thing too is is that a lot of people have gotten hooked on the media bandwagon. 
and the television bandwagon and thinking that uh, whatever has been propagated on TV, and that's another thing that people don't understand is that with the advent of TV, now it's like everything is put in your face. So you have to believe it. No, you do not have to believe it. We've got to be willing to stand up and know what is truth and know what is not truth. And if it's not truth, according to God's pure and holy word, it is not truth. And that's one thing we have got to get out of this brainwashed mentality, thinking everything that comes across the TV, the radio, or your cell phone is truth. No, break free from that mentality. Come to know Jesus Christ. Let him heal your life, and he will reveal to you what the truth is. He's done it for me, he's done it for you, and he's done it for a whole lot of people. But we've got to understand, and we've got to see that. Proverbs 16 and verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from God. So our preparation of our heart and our answers and how we talk to people are supposed to be from the Lord. If they're not from the Lord, we're leading people astray. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. So, we've talked about this before, too, is that we think that, man, why are the wicked people getting away with stuff? Why does it seem like they can just do whatever they want? And me as a Christian, man, it seems like I've got hardship. It seems like the Lord is chastising me all the time. I can't do anything that I want to do. Stop your belly aching and whining because this is it Pete, folks is that if the wicked are continuing on that is God's grace upon their life but he does not he, he's, he's preserved them to the day of judgment so that way if they continue in their wicked ways guess what they're going to have to give an accountability for their wickedness before Jesus Christ when they stand before him every single person in, in some sort of political office leading people astray they're going to have to get account for it Every single Christian leader that's leading people, leading people astray, they're going to have to get account for us. Every single one of us, if, we, if what we say is not of Jesus Christ and we're leading people astray, we're going to have to get an account for it. But if Jesus is chastising us, that is because he loves us and he does not want, us to, he does not want to see us go astray. It may not feel good at the time, but guess what? When a parent spanks their child, you think the child's going to say, at that moment, thanks mom and dad for spanking me. I really needed that. No, we learned that later on in life. And we look back and we say, they were right and I was wrong. And I appreciate the fact that they raised me in Jesus Christ and to come to know me. And they did not let me do whatever I wanted to do. We see that in people today. When their parents just said, you know, go do whatever you want to. And, you know, have a good time with your friends. But if you do something, just make sure you don't get caught. Yeah, that's really good to teach your kids because guess what? That mentality will stay with them for the rest of their life. And they will base their whole thinking process around that. As long as I don't get caught, it's okay. Guess what? You get caught every single time by God because he sees every single thing that we do. And when we stand before him, our life will be a witness against this. If we didn't come to know him, when we had plethora upon plethora of people trying to tell us, about Jesus Christ, it will be a witness against us. And he's not some dictator trying to like put you under his thumb saying you can't do anything. 
He all gives us free will to make those choices. Yes, but a lot of people today, it's easier for them to sit there and say, I don't believe in God, than to outright say they actually hate God. Because if you hate God, that means that you still admit that he exists. And in Romans 1, it said that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So they knew he existed, but they decided to go their own way in sin anyways. And at the end of that, guess what happened? He gave them up to a reprobate mind, a mind of disqualification, because they knew he existed and went the other direction. Verse 4, or verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. You know, we got a lot of hand-in-hand religions today saying, Oh, just praise the Lord, brother. And, you know, let's just sing praise and worship and love the Lord. And, you know, all we got to do is, like you said before, just love one another. But that's not it. Because true love is Jesus Christ. True love is wanting your brother and your sister and that homeless person on the street not going to hell. That is the true love. But when we do this whole hand-in-hand joining, what are we joining ourselves really to? Because when you hand-in-hand with somebody, you're joining yourself to that person through a handshake. What are we joining ourselves to today? It better be with Jesus Christ and not the world religions. That's right. A lot of people have given in to this sort of stuff. People just want to get along, and anytime you consider yourself and you love yourself more than God, you will preserve yourself at the expense of everything, and that includes your faith. That's right. Amen. Verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. A man's heart devises his ways, but the Lord directeth his steps. So in our own hearts, we may come up with some of the, you know, what we think is the best harebrained schemed ideas, and we want to do certain things, and we want to, you know, and I'm not saying everything that we think about, especially concerning ministry, is wrong, but is it in accordance to what the Lord wants us to do? That is what we have to think about, because the Lord does know our heart. He does know our desires. He knows every single thing about us, even things that we don't think He knows about, He knows about. And if our heart is intent to do things in righteousness, then maybe he will allow that to happen. But if it's not in righteousness, then he may say, no, you can't do this at this time because there's a part of it that's not right. There's a part of it that actually you want your own selfish desires through this. You want people to look at you instead of looking at Jesus Christ through this. So until the idea is solely based on Jesus Christ, we can't allow that to happen in ministry. Verse 10, huh? No, amen. Okay. Verse 10. A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his works. In it is, it is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of the kings, and they love and they love him that speaketh right. The wrath of a king is a messenger of death, but a wise man will pacify it. In the lights of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is a cloud of the latter rain. 
So even in rulings, if the king is doing the Lord's will, and we obviously know today that no political person has the Lord's will in mind. But if he does, and if he rules the people in accordance to God's will, that's something different. Because of that day, the king's word was what was said. It was went forward. I mean, we look at King David. He was a man after God's own heart. When King David sinned, he spent the rest of his life repenting for that sin. If we read the book of Psalms and the chapters that he wrote, you will actually see that. You will see the repentance that he had upon his life and how he even knew. I mean, this was a man, what, thousands of years, a few thousand years before Jesus Christ came, and he knew what salvation was all about. So it's just like, if you got a king like him, although he sinned and he repented for it, David still loved the Lord. And he still wanted to do righteousness before the Lord. And we've got to understand that in our own lives. You know, that we let the king of kings reign in our life. All right, let's go to Proverbs 21. In verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water he turneth, it whithersoever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. So we just spoke about this a few minutes ago. Is that every man, the way, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. And we can see that. Sometimes we have desires and, and thoughts of our own life and the direction that we want to go. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, we should always match it up with the Lord's will. But you see, those out there who are void of Jesus Christ today are just doing what's right in their own eyes. They're just living their life, and they're void of God. They're void of, you know, I lived that way for many years. I was void of God in my own life. And so I did what was right in my own eyes. I, you know, I didn't commit murder. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things I didn't do. So I was like, well, you know, I cuss, and I smoke, and I drink, and, you know, I, I have relationships with guys and stuff like that. But all the while, it was like there was this thing in the back of my mind. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't care. You know, I knew that there was something there that just said, this is not right. But my will was greater at that time, and what I wanted to do was greater. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to work, and, you know, I just lived an average everyday, what I thought was an average everyday life, and I did not see the evil that was truly in this world. Why? Because I was doing things according to what was right in my own eyes. And if we live, if we actually live that way, then Satan truly has masked our eyes from seeing what he's doing in society today and what he's doing to the, the so-called Christian church and what he's doing to other ministries and trying to take our focus off of Jesus Christ. Yep. Verse 3. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Why is that a high look and a proud heart? Satan had a high look and a proud heart. And he tried to overtake the throne of Jesus Christ or the throne of God. And he's been proud ever since. And he wants us to be proud. He wants us to have a high look. He wants us to think that we are better than God. And he tries to tell us, oh, by the way, you can be your own God. Go back to, you know, Genesis 3 when he said that. And a lot of religions are propagating that today. Trying to say, they're trying to warp and, and twist the scriptures into what they want to say. Mm -hmm. And just saying, well, you know, it, as long as you do your Christian duty, 
And as long as you treat people nicely, Luke 6 actually talks about that. You know, the, the sinner also gives as well. So it can't just be about our righteous works. It can't just be about, well, I gave $5 to this homeless person. It can't just be about, well, you know, I took somebody in the off the street and I gave, them my, I gave them my food and I gave them a place to stay and I gave them, you know, uh, a place where they could sleep and everything like that. Okay, that's great, but why did you do it? Was it because you were looking for self-gratification in the process? Or were you trying to do it in a way to instill them how to get out of that life? The whole scripture is based on us getting to know Jesus Christ and coming away from the life that we lived and having salvation with our Lord Jesus Christ so that way other people may be affected by it. But today, so many people saying that they know Jesus Christ don't really do so. They're basing it off of a religion and they're saying, well, you know, well, I can't exactly talk about Jesus Christ at work. Why? You don't believe that Jesus Christ would have you if he told you to go and do something? You don't believe that he would actually protect you in that situation? But a lot of people today say, well, if I lose my job, that's obviously not of Jesus Christ because he would not want me to do that. You've got the wrong idea of who Jesus Christ truly is and who his disciples truly were and how we are to walk and live today according to the scripture. Because there are answers to prayer that we see that may take us away from our job from our time being. If we pray, Lord, you know, I work at this job and it's pretty physically demanding, so I'm not able to pray and fast like, you know, I, I, you want me to. Well, if he says, okay, well, you're going to be put on a such and such leave of absence so you can do this, and yet we cower under that pressure, guess what? You're not listening to the fact that he just answered your prayer, and he's giving you the opportunity to do that. But we want to see his answers to prayer according to how we think it should be and not what he's doing for us. And why is that? Because we're so focused on religion. We're so focused on doing things our way instead of doing things God's way. And when we focus on doing things man's way, what does that happen? The road to hell is paved with those good intentions. A lot of people in the end times, and I, I hate to say this, but it, it is true. A lot of people in the end times, when the persecution happens, they're going to say, well, you know, I wanted to talk to this person about Jesus Christ, but I was afraid that I would lose my status. I was afraid that I would lose my job if I did so. And if I lost my job, then who else would talk to them about Jesus Christ? In your heart, you have a good intent. You may have a good intent for what you're doing. But that fear is now going to be a more of a pressure upon your life. You're not actually doing it for that person. Let's be real here when I'm saying this. You're not actually doing it that that person will be saved. You're doing it because you don't want to lose your job. You're doing it because that job and that 9 to 5 and the people there are more important to you than Jesus Christ. That's the true reality of why we're doing it. And I'm going to say this, too, before we continue on. Uh, I got a nephew going to the Amazon at the end of uh, or Wednesday of this week. And he's going to a village where the leader there said that the people would not, there were no outsiders that could come in and preach them the gospel. 
And the out and he even sent in military personnel to say you guys cannot have the gospel. And those people understand this what I'm trying to say, people in a third world country village stood up to those soldiers and said, You cannot tell us what to do. We want the gospel. I want everyone to ask ourselves this question today. If those same military people were to come to us, would we say the same thing? Would we say the same thing to those military people or we'd back away and say, okay, you're right. I'm just going to go back and, and you know, uh, please don't hurt me. And, um, and you may think in the back of your mind, well, if they kill me, if they kill you and you stand up for Jesus Christ, you'll go to heaven. But we don't think about that. What we think about is if I die, what will happen to my children? Trust in Jesus Christ. If I die, what will happen to this? Trust in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But that's the problem. Because we are spoiled in what we believe. Because we have the gospel ready available to us. And what is our excuse? I'll get to it tomorrow because it's right in front of me. Trust me, I've used that same excuse. I'm not saying anything to any of you. I'm not saying to myself. Okay, we have this lazy mentality that everything else in our life comes before the gospel, and that's not true. What are we going to say to Jesus Christ on that day when he said, why didn't you do this and that? Well, you know, Lord, uh, you know I'm going to school, and you know I got a lot on my plate, and you know I got a lot of studying I got to do, and you know I got to get my degree, and such and such and such and such. You know what he's going to say? Depart from me. You that work in equity. Depart from me. But we think we have all the time in the world when we don't. A lot of people are going to save face to you and agree with what you're saying only to not lose their relationship with you. Mm -hmm. But truly, down deep inside of their hearts, they do not believe what you are saying. Because if they did, their attitude would be a whole lot different than what it is. And that's what Jesus always dealt with the heart in a way where he wanted you to understand that you couldn't live on both sides of things. You know, he always came to that conclusion that, hey, if you don't gather with me, you scatter. Mm -hmm. There's no in-between in this. But, yeah, like, he, like, and I love how he said, many will profess me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So it's like you can say anything that you want to say, but deep down, what's in your heart is what you're going to come out and be. You know, you're only going to be what's in your heart. Outside of that, there's nothing that, that you can say or do. Amen. That'll mean anything. That's true. And one thing we also got to get a, a realization on is this, is that the persecution, when it starts, because it is coming, it will say, it will actually testify against us. And what I mean by that is, is that it will show who the real Christians are and it will show who the fake Christians are. Mm -hmm. And there are people now who may be your dearest friend that is only your friend for that reason. They're not your friend because they're your brother or your sister in Jesus Christ. But they're your friend out of an insecurity of losing you if they were to actually be honest with you about what they truly believe. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you this, eventually we will be exposed for who we truly are. That's right. And we've got to get that right today. Mm -hmm. Because when it comes down to it, your best friend may actually turn you in. <laughs> That's something we have to realize and get in our heads. Our best friend, those that come to, to Bible study or go to church with you every Sunday or every chance they get, they go out evangelizing. Judas Iscariot, prime example. 
His heart was not really with the Lord, and he made that known when Jesus Christ was crucified. Mm -hmm. But you see, how many of us today are actually like Peter or the other disciples, or are we truly Judas Iscariot? Mm -hmm. Are we truly like him? And this is something we've got to realize, because we're not taking our walk with him serious enough. Mm -hmm. And when those days actually come, we've said this before, you can't stand up and then and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. No, we've got to do it today, because the persecution is already amongst us. If we listen to that video five years ago when it said Section 8 was defended against down in California, now we understand why five years later they're trying to pass the law saying it's getting ready to be illegal to be a Christian down there. Why? Because five years ago they got the ball rolling on it. And probably even sooner, earlier than that. But you see, five years ago is now today. Everything that was said in that video, we are living in today. And this is something we have got to wake up and get out of that mindset. If you're in the education system, you need to pray about being there. Because if you're in that system and you say, well, I'll just tolerate it a little bit. I'll, I'll say what they're saying so that way I can interject Jesus Christ. Man, if you could ask Lot, he would tell you that is not true. Because when he went to Sodom and Gomorrah, he originally started on the outside of the gates. But what happened over the course of time of him being there, he eventually moved into the city. Why? Because his heart waxed worse and worse every single day that he was there in that city. The same thing goes if we are in the world system today. The more you are around it and the more you are compromising your faith, even though you think you have the best intentions at heart, you will eventually not you will eventually be swayed to go the other direction. Mm -hmm. And this is why we have got to seriously wake up to what's going on around us. Amen. Verse 5, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to uh, pleasantness, but of every one that is hasty only to want. So we've got to wait patiently on the Lord for what He gives us because if we're not, we're constantly doing things in a hurry to get stuff done, we're not going to see the Lord's uh, hand working in our lives. Verse 6, the getting of treasures by a, a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. Let's read that again. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. Now what's it say in the New Testament of that? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But we've also read about being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. So, if we're going just wherever the wind blows, and it's, I'm not talking about the Spirit lists us where it wants, and we go where the Spirit leads us, but if we're going after uh, our own heart's desires, and we're not going after Jesus Christ, then we're going to be tossed to and fro according to the, what the Scripture says. Mm -hmm. And we're always going to have another Spirit that dictates us, and not God's Spirit. You know, one day we may come and we say, oh yes, mm, preach it brother, you're right on the money and everything like that. And the next week you may come and you may have a demonic spirit within you that's going to contradict every single thing that's said. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you're going to and fro. One minute you're in this religious system. One minute you're in this religious system. One minute you're at Bible study. Because your feet are not firmly planted on the word of God. Mm -hmm. Verse 7, the robbery of the wicked shall destroy them because they refuse to do judgment or justice the way of man is forward and strange but as for the pure his work is right it is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop 
than with a brawling woman in a wide house. So this is saying, man, we got to be separated. We have got to be separated from the world. The whore of Babylon sits on many waters in the book of Revelation. So it is also saying it is better here to dwell in the corner of the housetop. The way is narrow. The gate is narrow. Then with a brawling woman in a wide house. Many there go that unto the broad gate and the, the wide way is the many. Mm -hmm. So if we're following after the many and we're not separating ourselves. Now the corner of the house you may say, man, this is tiny little, I'm shoved into a corner. There's not much room here. There's, there's nobody around me. I can't do anything. I'm just kind of separated from everybody. What am I supposed to do? Well, if the Lord's putting you there, that means he wants you to have a greater relationship with him. That means he wants you to be separated from everything in this world that causes you to go into iniquity, that causes you to do evil. That's why he wants to separate us. And that's something we've all got to understand is that if the Lord's maybe separating us from people, hey, maybe those people don't have your best interests at heart. Or maybe it's the fact that the Lord said, you know, I'm jealous over our, my time with you. You don't spend enough time with me anymore. I need to separate you out from your job or from this person or from that person. You know, if, if we're doing the Lord's will, he's, he's going to show us things. But we've really got to be willing to be separated from technology and stuff like that and to do his will. Verse 10. Amen. The soul of the wicked desires evil. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor findeth no favor in his eyes. When the scorner is punished, the sinful is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. The righteous man wisely consider the house of the wicked, but God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. So we got to understand this too, is that when it's saying that there's a wicked person, even his own friend doesn't trust him. You know, when you're a wicked person and you have friends, you got to understand those people aren't your friends for what they can get from you. But there is no deep connection there because they know that there's always wicked in you. That's right. These people that are in high power, that are in the Illuminati, that are, are appointed government officials, you think they actually trust one another? Absolutely not. They know that if they look to the left or they look to the right, somebody's always got some sort of device against them that if they were to mess up at any time, they'll off them. They don't yeah, care. They've all been warned about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's like, how can you have true friends that are that don't trust you? That's right. There is only one person, individual in this life that we can truly trust with our all and our everything, and it is not just your husband or your wife. It is Jesus Christ. Exactly. Amen. Exactly. Because your husband or your wife may love you today, but man, you start getting into Jesus, they might leave you tomorrow. If they don't come to know Jesus, because there's always some sort of a, an ulterior motive in today's relationships, because they're not based off of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. If we were to wait on the Lord and allow him to bring us somebody that would actually benefit our relationship with the Lord, then it would flourish. But even still, like you're saying, you can still only trust in the Lord with everything. I'm not saying, please, don't hear me. When I, I'm not saying go out and get divorced tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. You know, you may look at your husband, I can't trust you, so I'm not. No, that is not what I'm saying. 
What I'm saying is, is place your trust in the Lord and let Him work in your relationship. Let Him make it whole. Let Him make it pure. Let Him make it right. That's what I'm saying. That Jesus Christ is truly the only one that we can trust because He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He will never break a promise with us. He will never do you wrong. He'll never do you evil. He's not a backstabber. He's not any of those things. Satan is those things. But Jesus Christ only has your best interests at heart. Only. You just got to trust in him. Amen. Verse 13. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. A gift in secret pacifieth anger, and a reward in the bosom is strong wrath. So here's another thing, too, about verse 14 that I want to talk about. A gift in secret pacifieth anger and a reward in the bosom strong wrath there are people today in many ministries that do not have our best interests at heart there are going to be people that come in and they may amen hallelujah brother i love the message and then afterwards they may go privately talk to people and say you know what yeah he brought forth a good message but i could really tell that this is your calling I could really tell that, you know, you've got a desire. What does that do? That's a secret gift. And that brings forth wrath because what that individual is truly trying to do is upset the ministry. They're truly trying to bring in damnable heresies. Seditions, yes. So you can't look at that. You can't even look at what that person's saying. you got to rebuke them in Jesus' name and say, "Uh uh-uh, you're not getting me caught up in that garbage, man. I'm following after what Jesus Christ told me. And if you got a problem with it, you need to go talk to the minister. Mm-hmm. You need to go talk to whoever is in charge of that ministry or church or whatever. Because that very person is not there to bring good, uh, good ministries in. He's not there to bring in the word of God. He's not there to build up the ministry. He's there by Satan to actually break the ministry down. And that's why it's talking about this. It will actually bring wrath. Verse 15, it is joy to the just to do judgment, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. So what happens here is that if you know Jesus Christ and you're going on the right path, you start wandering off, you're going to start losing that understanding. You're going to start losing what Jesus Christ has said, and you're going to start going after other ways, and it ultimately leads to death. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the transgressors for the upright. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with than with a contentious and angry woman. So <laughs> we are we are all in the wilderness. If we believe in Jesus Christ and we've come out of Egypt, we're in that wilderness and we're wanting to go into the promised land but if we're in the wilderness and we're going after uh, what we think is the gospel and what we think is right and after not knowing what's right that can actually bring contention and strife in our own lives and actually in the lives of others we need to understand that it is God that worketh it is God that weighs the heart it is God that sees everything that we go through we've got to do it in accordance to his time Now, at the same time, that doesn't mean we procrastinate. It doesn't mean that we put it off either. 
Because I know in my own life, every single time that the Lord tried to sanctify me in the past, what did Satan do? Distract. Take away. Do something else. You need to do this, and you need to do that. Don't worry about it right now. By the way, your favorite TV show is about to come on Netflix, and you need to watch it, blah, blah, blah. What happened? It prolonged the process of me being sanctified. And it's time where it's like I've got to put my foot down and say, Satan, no. I know where God's taken me. I know where he wants me to be, and that's the direction that I'm going. Verse 20. There is treasure to be desired, and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness and honor. A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty and casteth down the strength of the confidence therein. He's tearing down what? The strong man, mm -hmm. the stronghold. Mm -hmm. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. So that is also, if, if we have the spirit of discernment in us and we know God's word, we're not going to just flack our yaps about stuff. Okay? We're not going to just be spouting off the words here. We're not just going to be trying to be heard. Okay? A lot of people today, or some people today say, I know the gospel, and I'm going to say, you know, what the gospel says, and I'm going to tell people, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and blah, 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 and I will be known for what the gospel really says instead of giving God the glory. You know, there are people today in, in certain sections of ministry and in, in churches and whatnot that will simply, they will actually contradict that minister by almost repeating what he said, but putting their own spin on it because they want to be heard. Mm -hmm. Keep a careful eye on that person. Make sure that they're actually there to benefit what you have or are they trying to really know God's word or are they trying to actually get people astray? Because if we know that, you ain't got to sit there and chime up every single time somebody says something. Because if so, that means that you want to be heard. You're not bringing forth Jesus Christ. You want to be brought forward. And so it's like if you got to sit there and repeat something, every, uh, repeat everything somebody says, or if you got to chime in, oh, yeah, I mean, this is what it really means to me and stuff like that, do you want to be heard or is it about Jesus Christ coming forward? Verse 24, proud and haughty scorners is his name, who, dwell, who dealeth in proud wrath. So we even see what his name is, <laughs> proud and haughty. Verse 25, the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hand refuseth to labor. He covereth greedily all the day long, coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. So, the desire of the slothful killeth him. His hand refuses to labor. He coveteth greedily all the day long. So these people here, they may say, oh, I'm a Christian. They may say, oh, I, I follow after Jesus Christ and stuff like that. But they will not give. Everything that they get, they will hold. Mm -hmm. You see a person on the street and they need money, but mm -mm, Lord bless you, my brother. But you mm -hmm. will not give that person. Why? Slothful. It's greedy. The sad part is a lot of so-called Christian religions today are actually propagating this, saying, well, if you give to that man, he may go spend it on drugs. If the Lord tells you to give it, you need to give it, because if not, you're disobedience. And if you're disobedience, you're actually of the children of wrath. Amen. Verse 27, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? A false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh continuously. 
a wicked man hardeneth his face. But as for the upright, he, di he directeth his ways. There is no wisdom more understanding. There is no more wisdom. There is no more understanding. There is no more counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of the battle. The safety is of the Lord. So what we got to understand here is that, man, if we go off into wickedness, there is no more wisdom. There is no more understanding. And there is no more counsel against the Lord. So if we're trying to go off and do our own thing and live by our own standards, what's going to happen? You're going to go further and further and further and further away from the Lord. And every single one of us is going to have to be prepared for that day of judgment when we stand before the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's just something we really got to think about. Yes, Amen. All right, let's, from here, let's go to Ezekiel 13 and 1. <clears throat> you have anything you want to add? No. I mean, I, it pretty much makes a lot of sense is that a lot of people are trying to have their best life now just separating so much between them and God. And mm -hmm. I mean, it becomes clear over time that we recognize that that's where your heart truly is. Yes. And I think people just need to be upfront with that. And I think that's why a lot of street people don't like churches. Mm -hmm. They do not like church people for that reason. That's true. All right, Ezekiel 13 and 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy and say unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that uh, follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Oh man, if this is not happening in the churches today. All right, now we obviously believe and we are a deliverance ministry here and we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and that people can be delivered of demonic spirits. They can be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. It has to be in the authority of Jesus Christ, not by what somebody says, not just by touching you on the head and said that you were healed. Okay, this is about the authority and calling those things out in Jesus' name. There are people today that have a very bad taste in their mouth about the gifts of healing and deliverance ministry because they've seen the falsehood of it. They've seen the Benny Hens and all those other false prophets that try and, and, you know, have the power. Satan has power too, folks. Satan can actually give people power, but it's only instantaneous. It's not the truth. So we've got to have the discernment to know what is truth and what is not. But a lot of people today, that's the reason why they want to say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are done away with. That's not true. It says he, when he that is perfect returns. Because there won't be a need for it when he returns. Because he is coming back to take his people. You know? But until that time, they are still real. We have to pray and fast for it. But you can't go against some false doctrine or some, you know, uh, false prophet or some seer that says, well, all you got to do is give me $10,000. And I'll give you, you know, the keys to heaven. That is not how it works. All you got to do is give this and I'll give you that. That's really kind of backwards. That's really kind of backwards because nowhere in Scripture did any of the, the prophets, real mm -hmm. prophets, did Jesus Christ or did his disciples ever say, give me money and I will heal you. Mm -hmm. They never said that. 
Believe on the name of Jesus and thou shalt be healed. Amen. The disciples said, Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But he healed them in Jesus' name. That's what it is all about. And that's what we truly have to recognize here. Don't give up on deliverance ministries if they're of Jesus Christ. Because there are some real ones out there. But we have to know what's truth and what's not truth. Verse 4, O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the desert. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. So there's no one standing in the gap, and there's no protection over Israel. That's what these prophets, they're not trying to protect the people, they're trying to mislead them. Verse 6, they have seen vanity and lying divisions, divinations, no, yeah, divination, saying, The Lord saith, and the Lord hath not sent them, and they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. So what it's saying right here is they're looking for confirmation, not from God, but from man. And there's a lot of people out there who are doing that today. They're only saying what they're saying, not that it comes from the Lord, but they're saying it for themselves. And they want you to confirm what they are saying is truth. But if you know the word of God for yourself, you can say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm sorry, but that's not God's word. And I'll show you in scripture where that's not God's word. But you got so many people today, and this is why we have to know this word for ourselves. Because if you do, you can say, well, that's true. That's true. That's fake. That's true. God's word's never said this. That's truth. That's a lie. If you know God's word, every time somebody says something, you can discern what's truth and not truth based upon the scripture. Verse 7, Hath not, uh, Have ye not seen a vain vision, and have not spoken, and have not spoken a lying divination, whereas ye say, The Lord saith? Albeit, I have not spoken. There's a lot of people saying today, The Lord told me. The Lord said this, and the Lord said that. We better be sure that the Lord actually told us, because if not, you're lying on Jesus Christ, and we will have to get him, give an account for that when we stand before him this, you know, in the day of judgment. So we better know that what we're saying is truly from the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because ye have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore, behold, I am against you. That's why we need to be careful, because you do not want God to be against you. I am against you, saith the Lord God, and mine hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and that divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, neither shall they be written in the writings of the house of Israel, neither shall they enter into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord God. So these people's names are not even going to be written in the book of life. You know, it says right here, and it says the book of Israel, but that's also the book of life. Their names won't even be in it. So this is why we ultimately have to be careful about what we are saying. Because it's going to be a witness against us. Verse 10. Because even because they have seduced my people saying peace. And there is no peace. And one built up a wall. And lo others uh, dubbed it with untempered mortar. Means like it was not a sturdy foundation. Mm -hmm. Say unto them which dub it with untempered mortar, that it shall fall. There shall be an overflowing shower, and ye, O great, o great hellness, 
shall fall, and a stormy wind shall rend it. Lo, when the wall is fallen, it fallen, shall it not be said unto you, Where is the dubbing wherewith ye shall dub it? This also sounds like the house that was built upon uh, the quicksand. Mm -hmm. Because when the rains came and the wind blew, what happened? Great was the fall of that house because it was not built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. This is something, folks, we've really got to get within our minds. Not all cre uh, Christianity is created equal. Okay, we have to know that what that person behind the pulpit is saying is true. And how do we know that? By knowing this word for ourselves. By hearing from the Lord and Him saying, telling us what He's saying is true or this is a false prophet. We have got to know that. Because if not, we'll get, we'll get taken away with that doctrine. Mm -hmm. We'll get taken away with the intent of what that person is saying. And we'll go out and we'll tell others about it. And that's going to lead them astray. So this is why we really have to know what this word is saying. Mm -hmm. Alright, let's go to Malachi 2 and 1. Malachi 2 and 1. And now, O you priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you. And I will curse your blessings, yea, I will have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Oh boy. You so-called pastors out there, you better listen to these words that are coming out right now. The Lord will curse your blessings if you are not preaching the truth in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you may say, well, man, I've got a flourish ministry, and I've got thousands of people coming to my congregation, and we've got money out the wazoo coming into our building. That could be your curse. Because the Lord is allowing you to stay in your delusion. And it will be accounted against you in the day that you stand before Jesus Christ. Don't always take a blessing as a curse. I mean, a curse is, you know, a blessing is something that's good. Mm -hmm. If it's not from the Lord, it even said here, curse, um, I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already. So you may think that you're getting all this money and you got all these people coming and everything seems great. You don't think that that actually be, could, could be a curse? Because the Lord is allowing you, instead of swaying you from your sin, He's allowing you to stay in it. Because this is the direction that you've chosen to go. Better think twice about that and seek the Lord and get back on the path of righteousness. Amen. Verse 3. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung up uh, on your faces. The Lord's not playing around. <laughs> Even the dung of your solemn feast. And one shall take you, aw shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with the might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. So this Levi was actually afraid of not doing the Lord's will. He was afraid of not preaching the truth. He was afraid of you know, leading people away from the gospel. So the Lord actually gave him peace because of this. Verse 6, The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. 
For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should uh, seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The priest, the pastor, the preacher is supposed to be the messenger of Jesus Christ. Not the messenger of what we want to say. Not the messenger of if I preach the truth then my congregation won't, won't uh, pay their tithes. And so that way I can't do this and that way I can't do that. Today people are looking at this gospel as a business. It is not a business. Nope. That is a false doctrine in and of itself. This is about bringing people into a true relationship of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and, and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Partial in that law. Partial in the scriptures. There are a lot of so-called pastors today of the Christian faith who are partial in the scripture and not standing upon it fully. Yeah, these guys are respecters of persons. That's what they do. They care what people think instead of being dead to self and alive to Christ. Amen. And that's why some people today, they're allowing gay marriages in their church. Man, you can't do that because that's not of God. You may say, well, if we allow them to get married then, you know, they'll come into our church and, and they'll get saved. No, they won't. No. Nope. No, because right then and there, you just compromise your faith. You just compromise your foundation in allowing them to do so. That's right. Amen. All right. From here, let's go to Luke. Even, um, I want to read. Go ahead. Sure. Where you are. Um, when he says, uh, did you read verse 8? Yeah, but, uh, I think I did. Yeah, go ahead. So, um, verse 8, he says, But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law, and have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people. He made them filthy. According as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Like you mentioned, look at verse 10. Have we not all one, Father, have not one God uh, created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? You know, so did you read that part? No. But no. that's the thing. They're profaning the mm -hmm. covenant of our, of our fathers. They're trying to wipe their feet on God's inheritance. Amen. So it says, Judah hath dealt treacherously, uh, and an abomination is committed in Israel. And um, in Jerusalem, for Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange god. So you see how people can bring their own gods in, and whatever you link yourself to, you become one with, just like we were talking about. So just like you said, if they compromise, you know, allowing homosexuality and things like that in the midst, what happens next? is that you find yourself with a homosexual congregation that will not come to Christ. That's a spirit of takeover. That's not a spirit of compromise. Mm -hmm. As you can see, they're pushing laws and doing other things, trying to get their agenda met. That's what's yep. really going on. That's true. Amen. Amen. And look at verse 12. One, sorry, oh, one no, no, thing. go ahead. He says, oh, the Lord will cut off the, uh, the man that doeth this, the master of the scholar, the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, 
and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. So God will cut them off. Like you just said, your mm -hmm. blessings will end up being moved because these people are standing for the wrong things. That's true. And that's something that people just really got to realize. You know, we cannot, we cannot have the world and Jesus at the same time. It does not work that way. And scripture even says that you cannot serve two masters. That's right. It said that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And why is that? It's because the eye of the needle was a very narrow gate in the city. And it was open, you know, after hours. And the man actually had to take all the, the stuff off of the camel. The camel actually had to bend down and go through and then he had to put the stuff back on the camel. I'm pretty sure that was a time-consuming process. Mm -hmm. But he's saying it's easier for that to happen than for a rich man. Why is that? Because the rich man does not want to give up all his goods. Mm -hmm. And you've got a lot of pastors today who are rich off of their congregation. That yeah. that is all they do. But you know what the compromise is? You know what the compromise says? Well, you know, that's just how it is today. You know, it has to work as a business because if not, then, you know, uh, the pastor's not going to be taken care of. That means the pastor does not trust in Jesus Christ for everything. Yes, and that means he would rather have that offering from the people so his needs are met. Wait a minute. Hold up. I thought the pastor was there to meet the needs of the people. Not the people meet the needs of the pastor. Right. We've got to wake up and understand how backwards this has actually become because we're not standing on the word of God. All right, so let's go to uh, Luke 14 and verse 25. And there went a great multitude from him, and he entered and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now people may say, man, that's hard. You really want me to hate somebody? No. But your love for Jesus Christ should come to the point of it may seem like you hate that person. Because your love for him is first and foremost. There are people going to be out there in your family, your friends, your husband, your wife, your children who will not understand your relationship, our relationship with Jesus Christ. And they may think that you're actually like avoiding them. Or you don't want to talk to them. Or you don't want to have anything to do with them. It's not it. But they got to understand that if you love Jesus Christ, that's first. Everything else comes second. Right. Nothing can come between you and the Lord. Exactly. Because, man, they're going to be, you might be married, and there would be days that you go to fast, and all of a sudden your wife comes in. Oh, honey, dearest, you know, you haven't spent a lot of time with me, and I thought, that, you know, we could just spend this evening together and just watch a movie and blah, blah, blah. Tell her or him, you know what, the Lord's called me to fast. I need to get in prayer with him. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Everything else is going to have to wait. And if they get upset, let them get upset. I would rather have them upset with me than God upset with me. That's right. <laughs> Amen. Verse 27. And whosoever doeth not bear his cross, and whosoever that doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whereas he hath sufficient to finish it? Do we have enough faith in our life to take up our cross and follow after Jesus Christ? Lest happily 
after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that beheld it began to mock him. So if we say that we're followers of Jesus Christ and we're following after him, yet we're still trying to compromise and do uh, what the world wants us to do, you don't think we're going to be made a, a laughing stock, a gazing stock? Yes, we already are. Right. As followers of Jesus Christ, we already are that way. But people, at least people know. We're not trying to compromise our faith. We're not trying to say, oh yeah, but you know, you can still do this and blah, blah, blah. People are going to look at you like, man, you're not a true Christian. Right. You're, no, you're, I, you're, no worse, you're no different than I am. People are looking for the difference in our life. They're examining us every time they see us. We run into people out in the streets who are you know, gangbangers and homeless and do crack and stuff like that. You don't think they're constantly examining our life to see if we're still holding fast to the same truth today that we did last week? Yes, they are, because they want to know, why should I believe in this Jesus? I want to see him in your life, because every other religion said you can do whatever. Why do I need Jesus in, our, in my life? So they're looking at to see, do we count the cost every single time? Verse, um, verse 30, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else why the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador, uh, an ambush, ambassage, and desireth uh, conditions of peace. Or likewise, whoever he be of you that forsake not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the hand, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. If we are not willing to forsake all and everything in this life, we cannot be his disciples. It says it in his word. These are Jesus Christ's words right here. We cannot compromise our beliefs. It may seem at times that we are by ourselves. It may seem at times that no one wants to be around you. Don't look at that as a downhearted saying, oh, I'm all alone. Look at it as the Lord wants to spend more time with you. So he's separating you out so he can spend more time with you. So he can talk to you. So the only voice that you hear is his. Too many being around too many people, being around too many voices, that brings confusion at times instead of edification. Amen. All right, from here, uh, if no one has anything, let's go to Romans 13 and 1. Romans 13 and verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained by God. Now, with that, I'm going to say this, because some people try and use these verses to say, well, see, that means that, you know, Donald Trump must be a good president. Or that means that Barack Obama or George Bush or whoever must have been a good president. That is not what it is talking about. Okay? 
what it is saying is is that uh, there is no power but of God. So God is the only authority in our life. But people today want to use the political realm. And they want to use saying, well, if we vote for somebody, then, you know, God obviously ordained it. You know, the children of Israelites of old wanted kings, they were not satisfied with the prophets and judges that God had given them, so they wanted to go after the ways of the heathen. Now, that is not to say that there were not some kings that God did not use because he used kings like David, but it was rare and far and few between that there was actually a decent king over those people. Like I said before, even King David, who repented, he still sinned. He repented of that sin, but it said the sword never left his house. Outside of that, just about every, uh, outside of King Hezekiah, just about every other king led the children of Israel astray. Why? Because they wanted to live after the ways of the heathen. This is not talking about the right man in office. No, this is talking about, you know, governmental, as far as the um, church, mm -hmm. you know, and everything is concerned, too, because people do try and make this about the government. That's not what he's talking about. If you rebel against those who are of God, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Then you rebel against God. That's what he's talking about, so you're right. Amen. Verse 2. Whosoever therefore resists the power resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive their themselves damnation. So there it is, right what you were saying, verse 2. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to do evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Praise of the same. So we're going to, if we do God's works, and we go out and we tell people about Jesus Christ, and we're not trying to uh, fall under evil, and if we're not trying to resist, like you were saying, if we're not trying to resist those who God has placed in authority over a ministry that is actually teaching God's word, then he will, uh, you know, we are going to have praise in, in that. Verse 4. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For, they, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So God has his ministers. He has his ministers even in today's society that are actually preaching the truth. There are ministries out there today. You know, where people, where men have not compromised their truth. There are ministries today that are coming under persecution and, and affliction and everything because they are willing to stand upon the word of God. Ministries in other countries that are facing the real persecution of today in those other countries because they will not compromise the word of God. You know, and he's talking about this. is like, man, don't come against those ministries. We only have one enemy today, and that is Satan. That is our only enemy in this world today. And his minions and those that he has placed to bring down the, you know, the true gospel. But we are not to come against those people that he's placed, that God has placed in true ministry to do his will. Because if not, if we do, man, we're going to have to face God's judgment. We will have to face his wrath if we do so. Amen. Verse 6. For this cause pray, pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, 
Custom to who custom? Fear to whom fear? Honor to whom honor? So obviously we know there is no New Testament tithing. It is a cheerful giver. You know, but if you are a part of a ministry, you should find a way, and if it's a ministry ordained by God, we should be finding a way to edify and to build up that ministry. We should be finding a way to say, you know what, I've got a desire for the homeless, so I'm going to, you know, I think we should have a homeless ministry. Or if it's beneficial to give to people who were in, you know, low-income housing and stuff like that, then follow after what the Lord is saying and calling us to do within that ministry. So it can be profitable for the Lord. It's never about ourselves, folks. It is never about what we can gain. All right, Galatians 6. And verse 1. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in his fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such and one in the spirit of, meek, of meekness. Consider thyself, lest thou also be tempest. So, if we've got someone that we know is struggling um, in their faults or whatever, if we are the stronger and we know what God's word says, then we are to help that brother. Okay, now obviously it is up to everyone to receive the truth. This is not a forced gospel. We don't force it upon anyone. But if the Lord has pinpointed us to someone and said, you know what, this person is struggling, I want you to go to talk to them. I want you to tell them. And, you know, the prophets of old did that. The prophets of old, you know, they would go straight up to someone and said, thus saith the Lord. And, you know, that's what we need to be today. And I'm not saying you go and you start smacking them around or anything like that. But we need to tell people, hey, you know what? I know where you're struggling. And I know where you are because I've been there myself. And I want to help you. And I want to help you to grow stronger in Jesus Christ. And sometimes that could take a little bit of time. But again, it is up to that person to receive it. You know? Sometimes it may seem like a pain. Like, man, i got other things I've got to do. You know, why do I need to stay with this person? Because God told you to. That's why. You know? and see the fruitfulness that will come of it. Whatever they decide, we still did the Lord's will. Whatever that person decides to do, it will not be laid to our charge because we were obedient unto what the Lord said for us to do concerning that. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, so and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let everyone prove his own works. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not for another. So if we're doing something for the will of the Lord, I know sometimes we can get really excited and want to tell people, hey, this is what the Lord wants me to do. This is what the Lord called me to do. Blah, blah, blah. We need to make sure the Lord's actually told us to do that. You know, there's been times that the Lord's given us visions, and man, the first thing we want to run out and do is tell everybody, well, the Lord gave me a vision about this, or he gave me a vision about that. You know what, in doing so, and if you don't counsel or consult the Lord on doing that, you may actually curse that, that vision that he gave you. Because it, that vision may have been for you. Now, I agree that there are certain visions that the Lord says, hey, go and tell people because it's of the last days or this or that. But there are some visions that are only between us and the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he may not want you to tell people at the time. And you could actually curse the blessing in doing so. 
All right, uh, verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burdens. We're going to bear our own burdens. But let him that is taught in the word con communicate unto him that teacheth in all, uh, in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So this is something we also have to understand here. Everything that we sow, whether it's under corruptibleness or bringing forth good fruit, we're going to reap that. You know, we may reap it now, or it may be when we stand before the judgment of Jesus Christ. But we are going to reap it. That's what the scripture says. So we have to reap unto righteousness. We have to reap to want to bear fruit. We have to reap to want to do God's will. We have to reap, you know, everything that he said, but it has to be of him. If we're trying to do anything of our own selves, that's unrighteousness. It, the intent may, we may think, this is, this is the deceivableness upon so many so-called Christians today. We may think that we have the intent of what we're doing is right, but is it right in accordance to what God says, or is it right in our own eyes? Mm -hmm. Because if it's right in our own eyes, what's going to happen? It will fall apart. It will be as that tempered uh, uh, mortar that was against the wall, it will eventually fall apart and crumble. There are people today that say, man, I don't have a husband or I don't have a wife. Why hasn't the Lord given me one yet? Maybe it's not time for you to have one yet. The Lord may have something different for us. But so many times today we think, well, if the Lord doesn't give me somebody, then there's something wrong with me. No, it doesn't. It just means the Lord doesn't have someone for you at that time. There are other things that he wants us to do first. Maybe there's some things he's still working out in our life first. Maybe there's still a small part of us that would idolize that person if he were to give it to us, give that person to us right now. These are things that we have to think about because if we're trying to do it by our own will, by our own standards, by our own righteousness, which are as filthy rags, Romans 3, then it will fall apart. Nothing can good come from by our own standards. There's only good that comes from Jesus Christ. All right, from here, if there's no questions, let's go to Hebrews 10 and 26. <clears throat> All right, Hebrews 10 and 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. So if we know the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ and we willfully sin, what's it saying right here? There's no more sacrifice for sin. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ only died on that cross one time. He did not continuously die on that cross for our sins. It was a one-time event. But if we are willfully sinning, knowing the truth, that means we are defying the very living God that we say that we believe in. Verse 27, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, <clears throat> which shall devour, devour the adversaries, he that despises Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. So what the law could not do is it could not save a person. It could not make them whole. As we know, it was a schoolmaster to bring uh, the children of Israel back under Jesus Christ because of their time in Egypt. It was to bring them into the promised land. How Of how much more sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be 
thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sacrificed an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Would people believe today that there are actual Christian leaders who are doing this, who are trampling the blood of God, the Son of God, under their feet? Would we actually truly believe that? Because they are. There was a man, and I think I mentioned this already, I can't remember his name, but he actually said that he wanted to rewrite the scriptures and to, to clarify all the mistakes. You don't think that he's trampling underfoot the word of God, the Son of God with that? You know, that it is. And there are many people out there who are like him. Why do you think we got all these false Bible versions today? Instead of sticking with the authority of God... We've got the NIV, we've got the ASV, we've got all this and that. you got the Schofield Bible who actually says in there, you know, about the, they don't, he doesn't know exactly when earth was created. That there was time, there was the pre-Adamonites in the Schofield Bible trying to bring in damnable heresies. These people do not have our best interests at heart. We have got to go on the authority of Jesus Christ because that is the only way we are going to be able to stand in the last days verse 30 for we know him that hath said vengeance belongeth me I will recompense saith the Lord and again the Lord shall judge his people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God Amen. and that is so true today people I want you guys to think about this we've got a couple more scriptures and then we're done that we do not want to fall in the hands of in the hands of a living God we want to fall on him and be broken, but we don't want it into the reverse because then we will be grounded to powder. Understand that that person that's preaching from the pulpit, he may not have your best interests at heart. Listen to every single thing that he is saying and compare it against the scripture. we got to know this word for ourselves. I can't say that enough. It is true that we do. All right, James 1 and verse 19. James 1.19 Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. So we've got to lay aside everything that may be in our lives that's not of Jesus Christ. If we're an angry person, get rid of that anger, unless it's standing on the Word of God. If we're a slothful person, you know, if we're still, if some people are today are still still looking at uh, porn on TV, or you're still listening to the wrong kind of music, you're still looking at people in a wrong way, in a sexual way, your mind is not clean, get rid of it. Get rid of it out of your life, because it will not benefit your salvation. It says here, engrafted words which are able to save your soul. These are the words of Jesus Christ, but his word is not based upon filthiness. It's based upon truth, cleanliness, and holiness. Verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. What is saying here? You can't just read your Bible and say, well, you know, 
I've got Jesus Christ in me, but it's good enough that I pray, and it's good enough that I read my Bible, but I don't have to talk to people. That's not true love. It's saying here we are supposed to be doers. What does that mean? We have got to get engaged in this battle. We have got to get engaged in this spiritual warfare. Because if you're not, you really don't want to do it. You really don't love the Lord as you say you do. Because if we did, we would be engaged in the warfare. Verse 23. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man holding his natural face in the glass, his sensual face. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Why? Because it was not truly in his heart to do the Lord's will from the beginning. He looks at himself in the mirror and, oh, I'm a good person. Oh, I can do this and, oh, I can do that. But there's no God in his life. We've really got to truthfully look at our inner man to see if God truly is in us. This is a reality check, people. I want people to be saved. But I'm telling you the truth today so we all individually look at our lives and say, do I, did I count the cost? Do I really want to serve Jesus Christ or am I just saying this so people will like me in the church or in the ministry? It's not about that. That'll lead us straight to hell. Let's have that truth of Jesus Christ in us. If we're not saved today, get saved today. Let the Lord change our life. 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the works, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Um, <clears throat> if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. But pure religion and undefiled before God and the fathers is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their afflictions and to keep himself unspotted in the world. Now this is the only time in scripture that the word religion is actually looked at in a good way. But what does it say? Uh, to visit the fatherless and the widows and the afflicted and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Mm -hmm. So this is not talking about going to a building and paying your tithes and singing little hallelujah songs and everything like that. It's talking about doing the will of God. It's talking about doing the will of Jesus Christ. What he did while he was here and what his disciples did and what he expects of us. That's what it's talking about. That is actual pure religion. All right, but the word religion today is looked at in a negative connotation because of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the so-called religious leaders today leading people astray. That's what that is talking about. I'm not religious. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that I want to grow more and more and more. Religion binds people. It binds them to this world. It binds them to a building. It binds them to a certain person. we got to be free from all that to only serve the true and living God. <clears throat> Alright, from here let's go to 1 John 3 and 11. First John 3 and 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and therefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteousness. Righteous. You know, Cain did the whole, uh, you know, uh, what's that phrase, where he got rid of, a uh, he got rid of Abel, um, anyways, 
But he probably thought by getting rid of Abel, now he would be the only one that God would look at. He did evil. But do you think that maybe there was some intent in his own warped mind? The intent, what I'm doing is good? Because he said, by getting rid of uh, elimination. He said, by eliminating Abel, now I'm the only one. What he did was pure wickedness. He did that of Satan, his father. He didn't do that of a love for his brother. But how many people today have the minds, the actual mindset of Cain instead of Abel? And going after their own ways and say, well, if I eliminate this person, if I eliminate their ministry, then God will obviously choose mine. He'll just obviously look at me. So I'm going to kill off this ministry. I'm going to send in people to destroy it. So that way God will obviously have to bless my ministry. That's kind of a warped way of thinking, isn't it? But do you know how many ministries out there today are actually thinking that way? That if they eliminate everyone else, that they will be blessed. No, that is murder. You are actually killing your brother. Okay, and what happened to Cain? He was, you know, he, was, he received a mark in his head. He was a vagabond. He was of that spirit of Antichrist because of that. He was not even repentant of what he did. He was looking out for self the whole time. Verse 13, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know, and you know not, and you know that no murder hath eternal life abiding in him. So if we can pass by people every single day and not talking about Jesus Christ, we are murderers. This is something we've got to work out in our lives. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso, um, but whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother hath need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? So if we have the ability to give to people, and tell them about Jesus Christ, but we're not doing it because we're concerned for self, then we do not have the love of God in us. My little children, let us not love the word. Um, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. So we can't trust in our heart. We can't trust in the way we feel. We can't trust in our emotions. We can't trust in anything that is of ourselves. We have got to trust in God's will. Amen. We've got to trust that he's going to take care of our every single need, even if it's in a way that we wouldn't think possible. Like, Lord, what good can, what good can come from this? Mm -hmm. You know, we've got to trust in the Lord because he's got things for us greater than we know. But we've got to stop looking at his will in a carnal fashion mm -hmm. and start looking at it in the way that he does. Amen. Um, verse 19, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have a confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. we got to keep his commandments. We can't just be asking for things amiss. 
You know, we got to be asking, Lord, strengthen me. Give me more wisdom. Uh, <clears throat> show me in my life where there's sin still lies so you can take it away and fill me with your Holy Ghost. But this is what he wants us to do. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he hath given us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. And, where he, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Amen. So this is very important. We have really got to understand that if we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself, it's not about us loving ourselves, but loving that person as we would see ourselves. Will we clothe ourselves? Clothe that person. Will we shower? Give that person a shower. Do we want the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life? Give that person the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can have it in their life. All right, one more place and then we're done. Psalms 11 and 1. Psalms 11, verse 1. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to the, my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow unto the, unto the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. So the wicked are not, or the wicked are trying to take down those that follow after Jesus Christ. They have got their arrows ready. Some of those people may be in the midst of your very own ministry or your church. Okay? And they're privately trying to do it. And that is why we have to, you know, we have to have that one relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked shall he rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and in horrible tempests. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous, for the righteous uh, Lord, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. So we obviously see here that there is only one end for the wicked, hell and the lake of fire. And there is one end for the righteous, heaven and being with Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm, just, I'm saying this in closing tonight, everyone, that I pray that if we're in situations that we're not ought to be, if we have a good intent to what, what we're doing, we need to make sure that that intent is of the Lord. Because hell is not just paved with good intentions. It is plastered with it. There are people going to hell this day thinking, well, I was just doing it for this reason. I was just doing it for that reason. I was just doing it so people may come to know Jesus Christ. We cannot compromise our faith in one part. It is in whole. But if it is in part, then that gap is going to get wider and wider and wider to the point now all of a sudden you're in the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now all of a sudden you're agreeing to agendas that you didn't agree with before. Why? Because the foundations have been destroyed. A lot of church foundations have been destroyed today because they did not stay and stand on the Word of God. So that's the message for tonight. And I hope everyone, you know, comes to know Jesus Christ and let's go greater in Him. Amen.
focus on prayer. Good lesson. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, once again with bowed heads and humbled hearts, thanking you once again, Lord, for another day. And Lord, I'm just asking that this word touches us in the hearts. I'm asking, Lord, that this word be anointed, that it gets out, that people may have a real understanding as to what it says. For Lord, you've always meant what you said, and you've held your word above your name, and you still do. So, Lord, we just pray that we become faithful stewards, that we may be able to have the word live in us, Lord, that we might take it serious, that we may have a love, affection for you that is greater than anything, for there is nothing here that can sustain us. So whatever this virus is, Lord, whatever this sickness is, whatever the enemy is trying to do, you know, with astonishing success, Lord, I pray that you stunt his growth. I pray, Lord, that you wake your people up and that you give them the minds of Christ that they might be able to rebel against the wicked one. I pray that you give them the heart of David, Lord, the heart after yours, that that people may fall in line with what you call, Lord, for the time is just drawing nigh, for the end is coming and our salvation, Lord, is on its way. And we just pray that we not fall away due to temptation that we not fall away due to through the foolishness, Lord, but just allow us to walk with you. Allow us to feel what you feel. Share your heart with us, Lord, and your word. Give us hearing hearts that we might be able to receive it. Let us proclaim the gospel, Lord, upon your name, which is a great name, the greatest name there ever was and is. So, Lord, just please give us what we need to make it known. May you bless this ministry, Lord. May it bear fruit. May it continue to go forward. May we just find people of like precious faith, even if you mean to get this ministry in a place where it's overseas. Then let your will be done. We're not interested in membership. We're interested in people that are true believers that want you and want to do what you call us to do. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray for Renee's baby tonight, Lord, and all that she's going through. Lord, heal that baby that's having complications, Lord, right out of the womb. We pray, Lord, for our sister Sarah, Lord, that you cure her of her brain cancer, Lord, and all that she's dealing with. We pray that we you bless your people, Lord, that you deal with them, Lord, that these people might be saved. All the confused hearts, all the people out there that are sick and shut in, all the people that are just not knowing what they want to do and where they want to go in life, we want to tell the world that you are the great physician, that there was nothing too hard for you, but all we have to do is just believe in you, Jesus Christ. You know, the Lord God of heaven. So, Lord, just let your will be done. Let these things take place for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.